With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. It's never too early to learn that the government is a greedy piglet that suckles on a taxpayer's teat until they have sore, chapped nipples. Hey guys, welcome back to Paul's to the Wall. I am your host, Mike Paul. Today I am joined by my good buddy, Tyler. Nick is not going to be able to make it because he came down with laryngitis, which does not bode well for podcasting. Um, however, we do have the privilege of being joined by the great Gene Epstein. So Gene, how are you doing today? Good and uh, good to be back uh, with uh, you guys on Paul's to the Wall. Well, we're, we're happy to have you. So a lot's changed since the last time we spoke. I think what was, that? The Fed, what was it, <laughs> earlier this year, maybe. But I think we've probably tripped. It's about six trillion dollars ago by Fed. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, but a couple of things I want to talk about is first of yeah. all, there's a lot of big events going on this year. I know um, Pork Fest is next week, I believe. Uh, well, yeah, no, week, uh, well, let's see, and then basically next week, starting a uh, yeah, week from, uh, I lost track, no, 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 uh, the 22nd, 23rd, so that's in like, uh, basically, uh, um, week and a half. Okay, and a half, yeah, as, so, as, yeah, you'll be at that event as well as, as Freedom Fest, so just want to tell the listeners a little bit about each of the events and, and what your role is at each of them mm-hmm. and why they should attend. Oh, wow. Yes. And since you mentioned the $6 trillion, I thought it would launch into uh, our uh, our dire uh, outlook for the economy. We'll get but, there. Uh, you want to talk about happier things, and uh, that's a good place to start. Uh, first, I do want to say to uh, podcast listeners, uh, since you do tend to listen to podcasts, you people out there, uh, the Soul Forum Debates podcast, the Soul Forum Debates podcast, is where you can get all of our debates at the Soul Forum. Um, I've done uh, three debates uh, with socialists. I've got that socialist trilogy that's uh, recorded at the Soul Forum Debates podcast. I've done four others, and there are more than 50 debates that we've got at the Soul Forum Debates podcast. So uh, I do recommend that. But uh, to get to Mike's question about what's coming up, uh, uh, the Soul Forum is going uh, to Porkfest for the very first time, and we're being given uh, the the red carpet treatment uh, by uh, by um, um, the guy Dennis uh, uh, D- Dennis Pratt, who's running it up there, uh, who is really a great guy. I was up at uh, New Hampshire over Memorial Day weekend, and I did a session at the Shell uh, with. Uh, a lot of uh, free staters in which they watched my recent debate on socialism and then put me in the hot seat. Uh, we did a video of that event and also some interviews of free staters, and that will be coming out shortly. You'll have to join our Facebook page in order to watch that video. But I think it was a very good uh, ad for uh, the free state. And Dennis Pratt, a uh, guy in his 60s who's running a pork fest, surprised me in a way by telling me that the whole purpose of Porkfest is to attract people to move to the free state 
of New Hampshire. So Mike and Charlie, you've got to bear that in mind. Uh, I do speak somewhat hypocritically uh, because it doesn't look as though I'll be moving to the free state. Uh, I've been living in New York City for over 50 years. I'm 76 years old. Maybe it's a little bit too late for me to move, but you guys should think about it. Uh, they're very, very committed to the idea that maybe the best thing that libertarians can do to fight for the cause of libertarianism is to dominate that one state and then, of course, ultimately secede from the union and make Bitcoin the currency. All that good stuff uh, could happen. So uh, I haven't even gotten to, to the answer to your question about what's happening at Porkfest. They're giving us a, a red carpet because I'm going to be moderating three debates uh, one of them will be about Bitcoin. Uh, the second and third were basically concocted uh, by Dennis Pratt. And uh, one of them is about bigotry and libertarians. Um, how should libertarians uh, feel toward bigots? And uh, Dennis told me that an African-American is actually, actually going to defend the resolution that bigots should be welcome uh, to the libertarian movement. The fact that you're a bigot doesn't necessarily mean that you're not a libertarian. So that would be a rather provocative debate that I'm looking forward to. And then uh, the, the, uh, the third debate will be a debate between Angela McCardle, who will be defending the strategic idea, the best thing for libertarians to do is to uh, promote and join the Libertarian Party versus a homegrown person who will be arguing that strategically the scarce resources of the, of the Libertarians should be focused on building the free state of New Hampshire. And when you think about scarce resources, then uh, in a way it isn't uh, like you could do both. You know, uh, there are priorities in life. And so I think that will also be a very provocative debate. I recommend it. Uh, then the fourth event will be a, uh, a long lecture by me, interactive with the audience, which I've been preparing for. Uh, it's my bleeding heart capitalism uh, lecture on uh, on why <clears throat> why the rising tide lifts all boats <clears throat> in the capitalist system and how government screws that up. Uh, and uh, that I think those lessons are not well enough understood by libertarians. So Dennis is going to give me the opportunity to deliver a 90-minute talk. Much of it is going to be interactive. I'm going to deliver. I'm going to talk for about 30 minutes and then pause for questions and uh, and an interaction with the audience, and then go on to the next topic. I probably will have won't have enough time to cover all the topics that are related to that very important. Uh, issue of the rising tide lifting all boats. I, I will, I guess, to some degree as a preview, uh, I've, I study the numbers and I know that the, there is a myth that uh, wages and salaries have fallen behind over the last 20 to 30 years. And uh, that's simply not true uh, based upon uh, a, a decent and hard look at the numbers. But it's a myth that many mainstream economists have perpetrated as well as even uh, pro-market publications like the Wall Street Journal. Well, that's that's going to be uh, Porkfest. And the bad news for uh, everybody out there is that it's all sold out. 2,500 tickets have been sold. Uh, I asked Dennis, uh, don't you expect uh, a lot of people to sort of gate crash? He said, yeah, I do. And that's why we have to limit it at 2,500. I said, well, then why not just sell, you know, 3,500 tickets? He said, well, there is the sewage problem, you know, the sewage problem of an open place. They they have all the porta potties out there. So Dennis is going to have to deal with the sewage. And uh, that is going to mean that uh, this will be uh, quite, uh, quite a spectacle. Uh, the the it's the it's the biggest uh, event ever for libertarians <clears throat> getting to freedom fest which is where i'm also going to go and that's going to be at south dakota 
Uh, I'm going to be uh, moderating a debate between John Mackey and Yaron Brook by the corporation. Freedom Fest has a lot of good libertarian uh, uh, events. I, I, I've been a little bit critical of it because it, it's tilted a little bit too much toward investment and toward issues, as well, which are of interest, but I think it's a little bit too much of that. Uh, too many investment advisors setting up a shop to solicit business, and uh, and then a little bit too much of of a neoconservative viewpoint. But the big attraction, and the reason why I really recommend going there, is that Tom Woods is going to have his own day at poor, at, uh, at at Freedom Fest, and he's going to devote much of that day to Scott Horton, uh, and uh, that. Um, uh, that is going to be terrific. I think that Scott Horton, whom your listeners probably have heard of, have you, have you guys ever had Scott on the show? Uh, yes, we have. Yep. Well, I think Scott is arguably our only authentic genius. <laughs> he, uh, there's nothing he can't recall about foreign policy. Uh, it, when he gets going, his insights are just incredible. It, the only downside is that sometimes he knows so much that he loses us a little bit. But I think he's improved in that regard. Uh, but I highly recommend. I mean, the, the the sort of stuff he can come up with, and and his book "Fools Aaron," read by him. It's too bad that he's supposed to be coming out with an audible version of his new book enough already time to end the uh, war on terror uh, but uh, read by him it's too bad he hasn't brought it out yet so i recommend feed invest especially because scott horton is going to be there uh, and to shift to the scott horton theme about what else is being planned uh, we have finally gotten uh bill crystal william crystal uh the father of neoconservative foreign policy uh to debate Scott Horton uh, in New York City on October 4th uh, at a very large space, the Symphony Space Theater on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And greatly to our dismay, uh, here's the bad news, the Symphony Space will not allow anybody uh, as a member of the audience unless that person brings a document showing proof of vaccination. And uh, uh, we are bothered by that. I'm outraged by that. But uh, that's the hand that's being dealt us in New York City. Any large venue is going to give us the same problem. Ironically, they have said that that anybody on our staff doesn't have to show proof of vaccination. As long as you show proof that you don't have COVID. So we were hoping that the audience could op- exercise that option, proof that you don't have COVID. But Sympathy Space is insisting, no, no, you've got to have proof of vaccination. And so a lot of people are uh, asking for refunds and aren't coming. On the other hand, uh, we're selling big time anyway. Mm-hmm. A lot of people really want to come to that event. It, the uh, the theater seats nearly 800, and uh, we are definitely going to sell out with a with a waiting list. So that's October 4th uh, in uh, in New York City on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Well, those are the big events. I'm looking forward to them all. The Scott Horton uh, debate uh, with Bill Crystal was supposed to happen in May of last year, May of 2020, but because of the fascist lockdowns in New York City, we weren't able to do it. We did take our show on the road. We had two debates in Florida, my social debate in Florida. There was another debate between John Mackey and Yarn Brook in Florida. Uh, and uh, in addition, of course, obviously, we're going to New Hampshire. We're going to South Dakota. Uh, and so uh, uh, we have taken our show on the road, but flesh is weak. We're based in New York City. We have a limited budget for travel. So uh, that's where we're going we're, we're gonna to have most of our debates in the future. And uh, that's about it. Those are all the exciting plans that are coming up for uh, the Soul Forum and for Pork Fest, Freedom Fest, and uh, for Scott Horton versus Bill Crystal. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I'm, 
you know, I just want to tell you how much I respect how much uh, work you're putting in with all these events and how much enthusiasm surrounds it has been extremely encouraging to me. I mean, I know I spoke with Freedom Fest because we're we'll be there as a media. Uh, oh, you will be. Oh, that's great. Yeah, 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 yep. yeah. That's great. And uh, you know, they said they sold out like their early bird uh, tickets yeah. right away back in May and or March, I believe. And um, yeah, they're get a huge gathering. Sounds like Pork Fest. I wish I could make it there. Maybe next year. Um, mm-hmm. This year's hard with the little kids, but uh, and uh, it's called Pork Fest. Why is it called Pork Fest? Because they refer to themselves as porcupines. Correct. A lot of people think that it has to do with uh, with pigs, but no, it's about <laughs> right. The most yeah. libertarian animal in existence, the porcupine. Yeah. 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 Pigs, pigs are okay too, but not if you've read Animal Farm by George Orwell. <laughs> right, right, right. So is uh, is Pork Fest directly? Uh, associated or involved with the Free State Project, or are they kind of two separate projects that go well, hand in hand? Yeah, you know, in order to be able to answer those questions, you have to have a deep dive into what's going on. I myself are completely confused by <clears throat> some recent news that came out on Twitter about what's happened to the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire. I can't follow yeah. that. The people are really on the ground. I, I am on the ground in this sense. Uh, I had the privilege of spending a lot of time uh, with Dennis Pratt. Uh, and Dennis uh, and his wife uh, live, uh, they've got a place in New Hampshire. Dennis is a very, very committed libertarian, and uh, he uh, he wants to maintain a certain distance from the group who run the Free State Project. I mean, I guess, look, you know, it's the old joke, you know, yes, you get three Jews in a room, you've got four or five arguments going. I guess you've got <laughs> three Jewish libertarians, you've got nine arguments. You know, it does dismay me a little bit that libertarians tend to get into seemingly more disputes than even left-wingers used to, but who knows, maybe maybe that's uh, not true. The point is that there's, there's a little bit of a, of, of a way of, of going your own way. Dennis, Dennis took over uh, um, Porkfest. He decided that he was going to charge only $30 a ticket. He wanted everybody to come. Uh, he decided also that he's not going to pay for anybody, any big name person to come who's going to charge him a pile of dough. To some degree, because Freedom Fest, Mark Gowson does that at Freedom Fest. You know, there's certain people that get ridiculous amounts of money to come, uh, and uh, certain others of us just get our costs paid for. In my case, I'm not charging anything, and, and the soil form is, is going to pay for going up there. Uh, that is, doesn't directly, directly answer your question. I know that Dennis wants to uh, want, w- wants to keep his distance a little bit from uh, from the Free State Project itself. He told me he could be chairman of the Free State Project, but he prefers not to be. He wants to maintain his independence. And so this really is very much, the Porkfest uh, this year is really very much a Dennis Pratt creation. Okay. And, uh, and since I've spent, and so, which isn't to say that Dennis has any big issues with uh, the people at the Free State Project. He wants to create promote the free state. So they are, it's not as though there's any real uh, acrimony. It's just that Dennis wants to do things his way. And of course, obviously, I completely empathize with it since mm-hmm. so far mm-hmm. as a mom and pop shop also. You know, I basically, I, I talk to a lot of people. You guys give me good ideas for good debates. You guys can t- tell me what I might or might not do. But ultimately, it's just all me. You know, it's mm-hmm. my little, my little, um, little dictatorship. And uh, it expresses me, and that's why I enjoy doing it, and that's Dennis. So he's a little bit independent, but as I say, he, little, he surprised me by saying, oh, the purpose of Porkfest is to attract people to move to the Free State. 
And, you know, you could say, I was a little surprised because I say, well, uh, you know, also the purpose of protest is just to attract, you know, 2,500 people to come who aren't necessarily going to stay. You know, it's not as though Freedom Fest is there to attract people to move to South Dakota. So that's a little bit different. On the other hand, I also told him that the film we did, the video we did, in which I had a really lively discussion with the pe- with people at the Shell. The Shell is, the, is what they call this little meeting hall that they have. Uh, and it showed, you know, what, what a whole lot of smart people are up there. They, they, they have a community that can run a lot of good things. Hopefully, I mean, as Dennis is arguing, if you have only, only how many thousands of free staters are there up there, they're already having some influence on state politics. And so if you had a critical mess of libertarians, maybe you could have, you know, a liberty governor in the governor's mansion. You know, mm-hmm. so I think that's all great. Uh, so anyway, I, 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 uh, as usual, I gave you more answer than you bargained for. I know that, that Dennis is a little bit running his own show uh, uh, and uh, and 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 of course I'm happy about the fact that he's giving us 90 minutes I have to wave here to get the light back on he's giving each of our debates 90 minutes I I want our debaters to be able to speak in paragraphs I want I, I take a risk with downtime each of our debates is timed at 80 minutes one-on-one uh, 80 minutes. And of course, we need a little bit of time in between, with a little bit of time for the before and after Oxford style voting. So he's given it all, each of the three debates are given 90 minutes. So he's completely accommodated us. At, at Freedom Fest, I, I have to say the debate was going to run 50 minutes which is a little less satisfactory. Uh, I I know that, of course, if it's a one-on-one debate, if it's 80 minutes, 80 minutes, there might be some longers, but I want to take a chance. I want a conversation. I want paragraphs. I want some deep thinking and deep exchanges, and that takes a little bit of time. So that's the format that I like, and uh, that's what uh, Dennis is accommodating. And and who knows if uh, if that would have happened had I had a committee to deal with. All I have to deal with is, is Dennis Pratt, and uh, I'm very happy about that. Very cool. Well, Gene, that's yeah. a lot of positivity. So I think it's yeah. time we turn to the uh, dark and not so fun conversations about uh, the issues. I thought it was done, guys. I thought that was <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. Okay, guys, I'm going to have to charge you two and a half bucks extra for my, <laughs> my overtime. Go ahead, yes. Sounds great. Yeah. So, um, you know, just in my own anecdotal experience, I've been seeing a lot of um, employment shortages, just what I deal with in, yeah. in my career, and big businesses, small businesses having trouble finding steady employment, entry-level work, um, and it's really driving up the price of labor for for small businesses. So a lot of this, I think we can all agree, it goes back to the government payments and unemployment and stimulus. So what uh, what kind of dangers do you see of of this type of uh, yeah. UBI type concept they're trying to, <laughs> they seem to not indefinitely be installing. So um, what, what do you think this is going to have an impact on in the near future here for this? Well, um, I, I, uh, I guess you and I are going to disagree about the indefiniteness of this. Uh, it looks as though there are a lot of states that are uh, reacting to it, that are uh, not extending the unemployment benefits. Uh, I believe that uh, it's it's not going to last. I believe that uh, while indeed you, you're absolutely right from your anecdotes, that on the macro, so to speak, macro, I don't want to use but the big picture level. Let's mm-hmm. say to use the word macro because that's a mainstream term. Uh, big picture level, uh, I, I more or less trust the Bureau of Labor Statistics numbers that 
uh, that that compared to the peak of early last year, uh, there are five and a half million fewer people employed. Uh, the similar uh, numbers apply to labor force participation. Uh, that uh, even though the economy is coming back, the labor the labor markets are only slowly coming back. They're now again over five and a half million people on the sidelines compared to over a year ago. So that's that's a pretty big number. And however, however, we we are adding uh, in, uh, hundreds of thousands of jobs every month. Uh, and uh, I anticipate that that's going to continue to happen and that a year from now, uh, the UBI is uh, going to vaporize and that people will get back to work. And so I, I don't I don't anticipate anything permanent uh, in place about that. And therefore, I guess I don't. I don't share your concern unless you can tell me something I don't know about the, which way the political winds are blowing. Oh, no, no. I was just, I was saying yeah. the way it seems to feel every time it feels like there's a last one, there's a new one in the works. So um, I don't have a hard stance on that at all. I was just kind of curious what your takeaway yeah. has been from what's going on. Yeah. Well, no, as I say, there's been a bit of, there's been a backlash. There's mm-hmm. been, uh, I think a basic understanding uh, and eager, basic eagerness uh, that uh, now, of course, that we're living in the post-Trump era, you no longer have to wreck the economy in order to bring down Trump. Uh, and uh, and so uh, there is a d- desire uh, to get people back to work and get the economy going again. Uh, clearly, uh, all those checks and all the uh, and the calculations I've read about how in certain states uh, it, you can uh, can do far better not working than working. Uh, all of those, I think, are not going to last. They are temporary. It happened in 08, 09. Uh, it's uh, happening now. But uh, I believe that, again, a year from now, people will get back to work. That's, in a way, the, so to speak, going forward and looking into the future, that's one of the least of my concerns. Uh, I, I do. I mean, I guess I should add that invariably it does seem as though every time we have a downturn, we never quite get back to the labor force, force participation rate, for example, among prime age men that we had before. There's always a little bit of slippage. And over the long term, we're losing workers. But I believe that most of those five to five and five to six million workers who are not working are going to return to work. Uh, will uh, although there'll be uh, you know, over the long term there'll be a little bit of slippage on a net basis, uh, but that, as I say, isn't a huge concern. I have many other concerns about the economy uh, going forward. Okay, would one of your concerns perhaps be the uh, massive rise in housing costs? Well, uh, yeah, I mean the the, the uh, what I would uh, the way I'd put it is that. Uh, the, the the two measures that are at least readily available of bubble conditions, uh, housing and the stock market, uh, are clearly in bubble territory. Uh, and uh, I could elaborate on uh, how those work. Uh, we, we if you look at uh, the the house price to rent ratio, we we do have reasonable figures available on average rents nationwide and of course house prices nationwide we have a number of different snapshots of house prices uh then uh, if you think about a house to to rent ratio then you see there's a kind of dynamic between the two if you own a house you could rent it out that's income you can get from it if you own a house similarly uh so you've bought the house and you might want to rent it out similarly of course if you're 
thinking uh, of uh, of putting a roof over your head, then you could either buy a house or you could rent a house. And so, uh, therefore, the two have some relationship to each other, so similar to the to a price earnings ratio or price dividend ratio. And and house prices are really sky high compared to rents right now. Similar in terms of the ratio. Uh, to uh, to where they where uh, this ratio was in uh, in 2006 when uh, we were in bubble conditions uh, and similarly I, I I prefer extra snapshots of the economy since we're always groping uh, with the numbers that we have to sort of discern what's going on uh, the house price to 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 price index ratio is also quite high uh, so uh, in both those senses we're looking at bubble conditions on the other hand. Uh, we, of course, then what's different about now versus then? Uh, on the one hand, we know that now versus then, we've got a mortgage interest rate that's even lower than it was then in 06. So uh, therefore, that's clearly what is helping to bid up the price of a home. Because of, obviously, when you buy a home, the mortgage interest rate is clearly crucial. Mm-hmm. We've got very low mortgage interest rates artificially put there by government. And that's disconcerting. Uh, uh, but 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 we do have in terms of houses housing we do have certain uh, legitimate fundamentals we do have people moving out of cities spreading out uh, wanting to buy homes uh, we do have you know there, people have saved money they want to buy homes so that we have some legitimate demand for homes and then on the supply side we do have record low inventory of available homes uh, and uh, that. I mean that's so. Therefore, if that uh, that is, so to speak, an understandable supply-demand situation, and then you'd hope that that's a price looking for more supply, that the high price is looking for more supply, and to some degree, I think it will find more supply. But uh, but of course, it's difficult to build in so many parts of the country. So that that that's a little bit of an ambiguous answer to your question. I think there was there is there is a source of concern about the potential. Uh, for the bursting of a housing bubble, but uh, I'm not sure that it will happen. Just I want to acknowledge that 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 the measures are where uh, the bubble conditions were in 06. I, I'm I'm less worried about it than I would have been in 06, but I, I do see it. With respect to the stock market, there the the measures are more conventional. Uh, price to operating's uh, operating earnings ratio. That's the standard import. 500, which is uh, calculated for us, operating earnings, that's in the bubble, a territory of, or close to it, that prevailed in uh, uh, 2009, uh, in, in 1999, sorry, mm-hmm. 1999, going to 2000, when we, before we had, when we had the big uh, 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 internet bubble uh, bursting, we had uh, PE ratios, price earnings ratios that were about at that level. Then uh, also, uh, I would like to look at the price to dividends ratio. Uh, it's not quite as high as it was then, but you know, we are still looking uh, at uh, at a source of concern. How much higher can it go? You you hopefully are looking for a stock market that, that responds to fundamentals and earnings and dividends. Presumably, are are the fundamentals you want to look at. So I do see both of those. Uh, measures that are available to us in bubble territory, and uh, that's uh, something. Those are both things that I uh, that I think we should worry about. Uh, I, I could perhaps you want to comment on that because I could go into other things I'm worried about as well. Uh, so, but, yeah. To 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 kind of piggyback on the housing question, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you've seen this, and I know Mike and I were both discussing this 
earlier today um, about BlackRock currently buying up large amounts of homes and whole housing developments. Yeah. Um, and I've heard two different, you know, two different arguments for this. I've heard that they're, you know, artificially driving up the price of homes and by doing this and trying to, the argument was essentially further, they're trying to further erode the, um, the middle class. And like, cause like home ownership is if you, you know, generally speaking, it was a way to build equity, build wealth over time. If you know, you live in a decent neighborhood and preserve your home. And the other argument I heard is that the companies like BlackRock don't actually trust the stock market. So they're buying up houses and like hard assets to kind of hedge their bets against the market. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. which, which way are you kind of leaning on that? Or do you have a, a different take? Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, with, let me just ask you this. When you talk about BlackRock wanting to erode the middle class, I'm saying, is that their purpose? Just to understand what you've just summarized. So that's their purpose it, in Moroni. It was, um, I think the thread that, that, that was hinting probably, at no, go ahead, yes. kind of like uh, the Great Reset argument where they're saying, you know, by, you, you won't own anything and you'll like it. If you've heard that kind of tossed around before, like that was like the World Economic Forum presented this argument where they're like private property is, you know, they want to build, it was like, an, it was, it was their kind of presentation for their, their view of a better modern world is essentially Which, what they, what they presented with Mike. Wasn't it like, it was like, you'll, you'll yeah. own nothing and you'll be happy about it. Yeah. By, by 2030, you'll own nothing and be happier for it. Yeah. So the world economic so forum, this person made, <laughs> I, I forget their username. It was on Twitter. They made a whole thread and they shared articles about how many homes and neighborhoods that BlackRock was buying. And they, they said that this is, you know, is an attack on like working class families that, you know, would buy a home and fix it up over time and build equity and also a means of forcing people into renting by driving up the cost of homes artificially. Well, because I believe they said BlackRock was buying houses for like 20 to 50 percent over cost. So like someone would put an offer yeah. in and all of a sudden someone would put a $30,000 higher offer in and it was BlackRock. So mm-hmm. the average person could not keep outbidding them um but yeah mm-hmm. I, I haven't looked too big into it I've, I've heard a couple of podcasters talk about it tyler sent me a couple articles but i'm still learning on it and i was curious if you had heard anything either well i i i cannot imagine that uh, that black rock uh is is moved by any kind of specific ideology about the way we should live whether we should own things or not i can only imagine that black rock is motivated by uh, the uh, desire for long-term profits, and therefore, uh, the I, I I could certainly uh, conjecture that uh, that uh, BlackRock could indeed be uh, doing the second thing that you that you mentioned, Tyler. Uh, that uh, certainly uh, the idea there's more ambiguity to my mind in the in the housing bubble uh, than there is in the stock market bubble. Uh, that uh, I mean, I'm still in stocks and I'm uh, uncomfortable being in stocks. On the other hand, I can't time the market, and uh, I, I I would have been concerned about the stock market two years ago, and I would have lost out on a lot of profits. And mm-hmm. so, I just sort of let it ride. And I guess I'll take my lumps. Although I buy a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin every month and a thousand dollars worth of gold, although that's not a whole lot in terms of what I own. Uh, and uh, but obviously. I, I can, if I didn't own stocks and bonds, if I didn't accumulate, 
over the course of my career, then I wouldn't be able to run the sole form. So I care very much about ownership. And uh, I don't know who, what fanatics are talking about not owning. As you, as you, as you know, the whole, I, I, I actually ironically take the other path with respect to home ownership. Um, The whole policy of the U.S. with respect to offering a a, a tax deduction on on the mortgage interest rate, which, by the way, they don't offer in in countries like Canada, has tried to emphasize and and motivate home ownership to to some degree. And of course, the fanaticism about home ownership is what caused the housing bubble of 06. Uh, uh, Bill Clinton wanted to goose up home ownership. So Mm -hmm. did George W. Bush. And so uh, the idea that people should own is still very much an ideology. I don't think it's so terrible to rent. Uh, and, uh, And so I don't even share that passion. The idea that a whole lot of people don't want us to own anything. Uh, uh, I think that just belongs to a fringe group of lunatics. Uh, probably if you talk to uh, most uh, most politicians, that most of them are sort of, you know, are interested in people owning things and they speak to that Republican politicians, certainly. So I don't quite buy that. But apart from that, as I say, I, I regard it as rather paranoid to think that BlackRock is motivated by ideology when presumably they're motivated by uh, the wish for profits. That intrigues me. Uh, it, what they're doing intrigues me because I, you, you, you could argue that uh, they are anticipating uh, more home ownership, which you could anticipate because people are moving out. They are spreading out. There is a demand for homes uh, that or as well, uh, more suppliers coming out. So uh, they they're buying up uh, that that uh, they, they're buying up homes because they're anticipating something profitable. So that's the only explanation I can give. I can't imagine uh, anything diabolical about it. But again, I'd ask you guys. Are you gonna Are you gonna think that BlackRock is is run by ideology rather than the desire to make uh, money? I said that that's what they're run by, and but the idea have, that undermine the middle class. What's in it for them? Right. I I the only thing that I could say is because the 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 gentleman that shared it on Twitter would lay mm-hmm. out a much better argument for okay. it than than I did. I'll, I'll have to look for it, and if I do, I'll. I'll tag you in it. Um, he sounds like a raging paranoid. This guy. Uh, it, it was. It was a little. It was a little paranoid. But yeah. I do. I do think there might be some weight to like artificially. You know, by them offering more than market value. You know, twenty, thirty percent over. I mean, if they're going to profit off it, obviously inflating the housing prices by doing that in certain areas, it would benefit them in the long run. Well, right? well, okay. well, yeah. I mean, they, rents are low, and so therefore. Uh, they, uh, gonna, if you own a home, uh, that's why I was talking about the, the price to rent ratio. Uh, rents are low, so uh, they're going to charge rents on these homes. Uh, and uh, there could be, uh, I, I have to think about what is on their mind. They're smart people, smarter mm-hmm. about the housing market than I am, and I dare say even you are. And I, I can imagine they 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 believe that being a landlord for uh, for homes is a good idea. Renting out, renting out a home is a good idea. There may be some Byzantine tax benefit in this for them. That's more than what you and I know about, you know, so uh, that could be part of it as well. Uh, so that's the best that I could conjecture about, uh, about that. Now, are, are you familiar with the, the whole great reset uh, world economic forum thing going on? 
Well, the reset, the, the reset that I know about is uh, is that uh, they want more. They want they want government to dominate us our lives even more than ever. That's that's, that's the reset right. I'm yep. aware of. But what what reset are you guys aware? of? Well, I mean, Time Art, Time Magazine did an article on it. I think late last year. Yeah. Uh, the World Economic Forum put up a, a podcast about it, and uh, I think even John Kerry made a statement talking about how. COVID had given the perfectly fertile ground for this and how we have to rethink global capitalism and we're on the brink of a very exciting time is how he yeah, phrased yeah. it. Oh, sure. So, no. And, I mean, John Kerry is a climate alarmist. And so mm-hmm. obviously, uh, you know, we, ha- we, we, we basically have to live off windmills and solar panels and, uh, and uh, this kind of uh, podcast that we're, that we're having could be blacked out at any moment if the wind stops to blow, stops blowing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, indeed, obviously, these people are a menace. The great CDAs, great resetters, are a menace. Uh, and uh, I don't know if they will succeed. I don't. I think it's very difficult to, to defeat fossil fuels. The only, the only thing I could that I could see that's likely to happen is that fossil fuels are still going to prevail because even John Kerry wants to keep the lights on. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, but but the U.S. is good. U.S. is a, a, the, the advantage. The domestic advantage the U.S. has with respect to oil is going to lessen, and we're going to become more and more dependent on, you know, Saudi oil, and on the Russians are going to benefit. So it's a little bit ridiculous. But uh, the forces of the marketplace, I think, are uh, are difficult to contend with, so, with respect to fossil fuels in particular. Uh, since you mentioned John Kerry, he regards it as a great reset that that we're going to uh, you know roll back uh, you know the carbon dioxide emissions and uh, i think that's not going to happen uh and uh, so i uh, look forward to the day that uh, he realizes that he's been defeated so i'm i'm a little bit less fearful about their success at the great reset than you guys might be unless you want to mention one other or other aspects of the great reset that they want to bring about i don't really think john kerry you think wants nobody two-thirds of the of, of, of households own their own home uh, that i i i've i've been i i was once uh uh listening to a lecture by a wall street economist who who regarded it as a disaster to think that home ownership could go down to 60% from 70%. And I said, what kind of ideology are you pushing? You think it's so so terrible if people rent uh, apartments or rent their own homes? So I'm just saying that generally speaking, you hear the opposite kind of emphasis. How good, how great it is that that uh, that people own their own homes. The the home ownership rate has climbed back. I, I don't think that they can do very much to roll it back. People do want to own homes, and I don't mm-hmm. think then that BlackRock is going to have much of an influence over that. I think it's going to be fiddling around the margins again. Approximately one third of households rent, and two thirds own. And of course, once you get up to, to the upper age groups, of obviously as, as you guys can imagine it's the younger people who tend to rent and the older people who tend to own and you get up to 80 85 percent home ownership rate once you once you're looking at people over the age of 45 i doubt very much that that's going to change so they you know they're up against the cussedness of the american people and uh, i think that uh, their victories will be potentially arguably few and far between that's yeah that's fair that's okay. a, that you you laid it out you laid it out well yeah, i just was I, w- I was curious because, like, I, I, you know, I've been kind of like Mike said, people have been talking about BlackRock buying up a lot of homes, and I had just I wasn't I wasn't sure what the the end goal is outside of, but you know, utilizing them as income streams, r- revenue streams, whether they're- yeah, they they might I could I could see an argument for and possibly laced with some kind of cockamamie 
tax advantage. That's beyond me. You know, mm-hmm. you have to study the history of Warren Buffett, you know, to realize that part of his great genius and success was all the tax arbitrage he did for, mm-hmm. for Warren Buff, Buffett's success. So BlackRock may have figured something out that you that you and I don't know. And uh, and again, they're going to be landlords. So they'll, they'll they'll rent out homes. And uh, and in a way, that's you know better news for people of limited means whose parents can't give them the the down payment uh, to buy a home. So I doubt very much that that's very much of a menace but but to but to get to uh to what does concern me uh uh, in particular, uh, it's clear that uh, the printing press is going wild. Uh, mm-hmm. The Federal Reserve is loading up on debt. Uh, the uh, at, at this stage, it would be usual for the Federal Reserve to take away the punch bowl. The economy is coming back. Uh, price inflation is rising. Uh, the uh, the Fed, by taking away the punch bowl, I mean that the Federal Reserve would normally be uh, be raising interest rates, uh, and yet. That has not yet been happening. Uh, I, they are potentially fearful that uh, that that the cost of servicing the debt w- is going to become increasingly burdensome for the Treasury. Uh, and speaking uh, in the broad outlines of what's going on over the next ten to fifteen years, uh, the uh, the U.S. Treasury is piling up debt. A debt as a share of GDP uh, uh, above 100% now, uh, advancing to 150%, 160%, and eventually that's going to have to stop. Uh, and uh, they are they are miraculously uh, getting away with a long-term interest rate on that debt of uh, only a little over two percent. Uh, it's it's ama- it's amazing to be that me that anybody would buy a 20-year bond at only a little over two percent, given uh, the potential for price inflation over the next you know 20 years, but they're still getting away with it. Uh, the the long-term um, um, average uh, cost of servicing the debt, the Treasury debt, is five point. Uh, 5.8%. And uh, if it goes to a little over 4%, it's going to start eating up the federal budget. And the, uh, the, the, the I'm talking about 10 to 15 years out. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, but, and, but right now, uh, wh- why I launched on that is that right now, uh, I think the, uh, the Federal Reserve is a little bit between a rock and a hard place. They're buying up a lot of the debt. The, the spending is up the kazoo, trillions of dollars being spent. Uh, it's just—it's not coming out of taxes. It's essentially being printed. But the Federal Reserve has got to buy that debt, and the Federal Reserve can't, can't, is is eventually going to have to stop buying it. And it's fearful uh, about what's going to happen once it does, and once the interest rate rises. So I, I see that as almost baked in the cake, but not necessarily over the next four or five years, uh, the next 10 to 15, certainly, in terms of, of, of adding to the instability of the dollar and of the U.S. economy. And there, what I've just told you is almost straight from the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, a very mainstream quasi-Keynesian organization that has been issuing warnings about the long-term debt for many years, unheeded warnings. And all that happens is the politicians start spending more and more. And it seems almost hopeless to get them to stop uh, and uh, because um, and I've been asked, what what are the what is Jerome Powell thinking, the Federal Reserve Chairman? What is 
uh, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, thinking you can only imagine that they're hoping and praying. But, but they can't be that stupid. They should. They should. They they do recognize the risks. But they 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 may they probably just think the miracle that that the U.S. is borrowing at such a low interest rate, which which uh, which is red meat to the politicians and red meat to the Treasury mm -hmm. that you can borrow at such advantageous terms. That's been motivating all the borrowing and uh, and they're hoping and praying that that interest rate will persist they may be right for the next few years but sooner or later uh, perhaps sooner rather than later but certainly within 10 to 15 years that's going to be a real problem and uh, then the only silver lining lining in that uh, is that if in 10 to 15 years the dollar becomes unstable uh, as to some as as the congressional budget office predicts it could then uh, that might be an opportunity for for Bitcoin to become the preferred medium of exchange. Gotcha. Now, Gene, this is going to be a little uh, off subject, but circling back to the sure. stock market and, and sure. given your experience with the New York Stock Exchange and Bears Magazine, I was really interested to get, to get your perspective. Um, if you've been paying attention to the AMC GameStop short squeeze going on, um, I haven't looked at it in a while, but maybe you want to update me on that. Well, I thought it was, I thought it was a great, I thought it was a great event. What, what I, what I understood <laughs> it happened, I thought it was a great event. But, yeah. but go ahead, what, what about it? Well, AMC obviously has recently caught some more fire. It went from like what ten bucks a share to I think it peaked at seventy three two weeks yeah. ago. And yeah. I mean, I, I got some people that are really big into it who think it's going to like five six figures a share because it's going to be oh, you know, squeeze through the roof. And oh, wow. I was just kind of curious, given your expertise dealing with the market you know what kind of trouble these hedge funds may be in or, or what potential paths of outcome could even come from something like this i know it's unprecedented and i'm not asking you to forecast but just given your experience i was curious what your thoughts were well gee the only thing i know that a guy that happened with amc is that uh and again i'm really rooting for them i'm a big moviegoer i, <laughs> I love the multiplexes and even even though of course most of the uh most of the uh, violent hero stories, the big epics, I really can't sit through. But I still do love to go to the movies, and uh, I'm uh, I'm going to patriotically probably see the 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 movie in the Heights. So I I, I was very happy to learn, and this isn't really responding to your question, but at least talks about AMC. We'll get to your question in a moment, but uh, that, uh, that that apparently uh, the, the shorting of AMC by the hedge funds was, was then counteracted by uh, by Reddit was and uh, yep. and that and that sustained AMC stock so that 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 a lot of their 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 overhang of bonds turned into stock. They would have been crushed by their bond overhang. Did you know that story? That no. that that yeah. The stock was was raised in time so that the bonds were were converted to stock, and that rescued them from oblivion, which was a sort of an odd uh, intervention. But but then I I would imagine that you and I would both agree that if you, since we're, we're, I'm a moviegoer, you're a moviegoer, you know, the future of AMC uh, as a as a theater chain is very much up for grabs. The, the idea that it's going to go to the, that its stock is going to go to the roof sounds insane to me, but uh, one hopes that they flourish and they do okay. But uh, if, if, was that your question? That, that uh, if you, are you, can you possibly be a Super Bowl on AMC stock? Is that well, what 
Well, yeah, basically, I know theoretically on a short squeeze, it can go indefinitely up, infinitely up versus, you know, <clears throat> shorten it, it can only go to zero. So I know people were. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Oh, you know, yeah. A lot of the, a lot of these yeah. people, they, they call themselves yeah. the apes, you know, the AMC yeah. apes that are buying up and teaming yeah. up against the hedge funds. Like there's, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've heard different people all over projecting just crazy astronomic prices on it. And I just. I know nothing about this oh, stuff. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Then, then you weren't asking me about the fundamentals of it, and I haven't been tracking. So I, I guess I'm, I mostly have to duck, duck the question. But well, obviously, uh, a short squeeze, of course, can get you anywhere, and uh, that's what we had before. It was a short mm-hmm. squeeze. It, it, it does appear that you and I, uh, I know how what your net worth is at this point, Mike, but where your allocations are, or yours, Tyler, but but I would stay stay away from it. It sounds too dangerous. Very difficult for me to call that that kind sure. of uh, that kind of bubble. So I'll have to duck the question, except to say that uh, I wish AMC well, and uh, <laughs> and I'm happy about what the short squeeze did to rescue them because yep. they. They would have uh, they would have gone under, and so that was a kind of a you know. Uh, although I should say that the term vulture capitalism is is poorly understood. You know, the, the vulture capitalists buy up assets that are really in the tank because they believe that they have potential, and maybe that would have happened to AMC if it really gotten crushed and gone bankrupt, and then the vulture capitalists would have recognized that the, the, that there is a future to movie going, there is a future to going to the multiplex and eating the popcorn and watching the movies. So maybe they would have been rescued that way. I was very happy to see that uh, that the short squeezers rescued them in any case. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I was just curious about your take on it. So yeah. that's good enough for me. Yeah. Um, so another thing you were talking about is uh, as far as like New York City with the uh, you know the Soho Forum having to yeah. proof the vaccination. Now is that that I heard there's like some kind of like pass that's going to be in New York City, like the Excelsior or something. Have, have you heard much on that? It's kind of like the COVID passport type concept. Well, yeah, you keep hearing about it. Um, it, it is a little bit funny, a little bit absurd. Uh, I uh, because of circumstances, uh, personal circumstances. Uh, I'm 76, and you'd think that I might have been at risk from COVID, but I noticed the, the very good New York City numbers uh, showed that only six people over the age of 76 in all of New York City had died of COVID out of a half a million res- uh, people over the age of 75, actually. So I figured, well, better to get a mild dose of COVID rather than get the vaccine. But uh, I then I did come down with some kind of strange respiratory illness, and I could no longer count myself as no longer in that category. So I did get the vaccination. And then, of course, now I look at this vaccination card and I like to hold it up to people, take a picture of it. This is really hard to hard to forge, isn't it? This little vaccination card. Actually, easy <laughs> I got it, that forgeries are fairly common. And I anticipate, um, hopefully you guys will not be publishing this too much so that the people at Symphony Space hear this. I anticipate that there will be some people who will be submitting forged documents <laughs> when they come to our solo forum at the Symphony Space uh, to claim that they've been uh, vaccinated because it doesn't seem like there's much downside to that. Uh, I, the only thing I hear is that Gavin Newsom of California is trying to impose something more standard that's more difficult to forge. Uh, and uh, and so uh, I don't know. But, but, uh, but, but you know, you can't underestimate the ineptitude of, of government and of the powers that be. Right. And we always want to count on that. And so it's very possible that uh, we'll just continue as we are. And there are a whole lot of people who are a little bit nervous about forging things, although 
not the ANCAPs are not too nervous about it, as as I imagine. ANCAPs as a group are quite quite brazen about uh, doing that sort of thing. And so, but, you know, but how many ANCAPs are there in this country? You know, there's a there's a only you know fewer than a million, I guess. So I don't think that's much of a problem. But in any case, I, 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 I and the, the the New York City administration is is altering, as you know, obviously uh, De Blasio, uh, who's a real really inept dummy terrible at everything he ever did uh, our, our current mayor who's who is term limited is going to be on the way out there'll be a transition government so that's going to take up a lot of time and effort and so uh, if you're talking about new york city uh, about there possibly being uh, covid passports I'd, I'd be a little bit surprised if that happens right away given the turmoil from the elections and all the other turnover of government that's going to happen and uh, i uh, my attitude toward the vaccines generally has been one of skepticism there's, there's an incredible divide that uh, i notice among libertarians a lot of people who think it's just a triumph of the free market who think the vaccines are wonderful uh, and uh, i i see i i i don't miss, i i see just most rationally the vaccines were rushed the side effects were not quite investigated and that for most young people people, uh, it's uh, it's better to catch a mild, the mild case of COVID you're likely to catch rather than take the vaccine, which which has some potential side effects. The mild case of COVID isn't going to, you know, it's, isn't going to be that terrible and it'll give you better immunity if you do come down with it. And so uh, that's why uh, I don't, uh, I'm, I'm just dismayed when I hear uh, my own daughter talk about vaccinating my grandchildren, who it just seems ridiculous. Uh, to do. In my case, uh, again, being 76 years old, it's a little bit more of an issue. Old people are the ones who, who come down with serious cases. And uh, and they're, you know, if you do have, and and of course, disproportionately, it's because the old people have the comorbidities. And uh, I, uh, I got vaccinated for that reason. Uh, and, but bottom line, I don't know if you share this uh, feeling of mine, which it's that uh, I, I've seen young people, people in their 30s, who were basically hiding under the bed when it came uh, to uh, the, uh, the, the, the lockdowns and the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, who uh, were just, uh, you know, washing every carrot, really afraid of catching COVID. And now they've been double vaxxed and they're traveling. Uh, the, the powers that be have instilled fear into people. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you can't reason with fear. But if the vaccines are, are lifting that fear, then I welcome it. And uh, I guess I'm an inveterate optimist. I hope that uh, that the, the confidence then that if, that if another virus hits, that a vaccine will come out, will also lift fears. Uh, uh, and uh, the memory of, uh, of the fear is when maybe it will subside. But more, as I say, more specifically, uh, the vaccines and the, uh, and, and the defeat of Trump have motivated the politicians and the local politicians to recognize, especially that they care about the tax base. They want people to go back, go back to work. So they are uh, in the act of finding every excuse to loosen the lockdowns. And uh, that's been, uh, that's good news. And uh, we're, uh, I, I'm of course, perhaps uh, I, I share uh, your uh, frustration that, uh, that even many libertarians don't understand that the lockdowns were an abomination. The, you know, the worst thing that happened 
uh, for uh, they they are just uh, they they are totalitarianism. Yeah, they get back to Dave Smith's joke. No, no, we don't live in a totalitarian country. Uh, by the way, I I called the mayor this morning to ask him if I can go outside. You know, they, they, <laughs> we we have insanity over the land, and and it dismays me to be in the company of libertarians who who don't regard that as the primary libertarian issue, the lockdowns. And uh, who uh, who don't share the outrage that they ever happened in the first place, and who might not even be familiar with uh, with Tom Woods' very good quiz. I don't know if you've seen it. All the, all the charts yeah. on of masks, and uh, they didn't work. But more more to the point, there was never any excuse to have them in the first place. Uh, the the, uh, the the, the logic of the Great Barrington Declaration, which was basically formulated by progressives, uh, it, it is a very government-oriented uh, document uh, that they wanted people to, they wanted the government to pay for. They want, they wanted focused protection, and focused protection, uh, by and large, would have been done voluntarily, even in any kind of libertarian society. But, but they, they wanted money for people. Uh, who had to go to work, who who might have had illness, might have been obese. So, uh, and I don't necessarily oppose that. If I'm going to argue with most people about about the about the lockdowns, it's very easy for me to just say, just read the the Great Barrington Le- Declaration. It wasn't written by libertarians. It wasn't written by the people at the American uh, Institute for Economic Research who who were sponsoring it. It was written by people who are basically progressives and 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 uh, and don't mind government intervention but it's a sane document within that context and so uh, uh i i just hope that we'll eventually uh be able to uh, teach uh even non-libertarians that uh that this was truly a, a disastrous time for american society and for the world uh, what occurred uh, so again that's more answer than you bargained for. I'm uh, I'm hoping that uh, that New York City opens up. With respect to the to the vac- to the course requiring that ever, that everybody be vaccinated, that is being required by Symphony Space. Uh, it's odd that uh, they are telling us that anybody on our staff can simply provide proof of not having COVID. Just you know, 36 hour proof that you don't have COVID. That three days ago you took mm-hmm. a test. COVID, and uh, and I, and I was hoping that they would be logical and uh, and say the same thing applies to the audience, the, to the ticket holders. And yet they didn't say that. They said all ticket holders have got to have uh, proof of double vaccination. Uh, although uh, the, 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 my 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 operations head, uh, she's in she's thirty two years old. She's not going to be vaccinated. She hasn't been vaccinated. She only has to provide proof that she doesn't have COVID. Uh, I would. I, I would I know what you guys think, but I, I believe that you, know, you can sort of understand that uh, that if you want to attract an audience to your venue, that you might want to say provide proof that you don't have COVID, that that's reasonable uh, to ask, and that that even in a pure maybe among pure libertarians you might want to say that. Uh, even though I wouldn't require it, it certainly wasn't required when we went went to the venues in Florida. Mm-hmm. But at least I can understand it. The more extreme uh, demand that you be vaccinated seems a bit unreasonable. Uh, 
uh, and uh, and and certainly has me outraged. But uh, we were very very eager to get this debate going. Scott Horton is coming, and uh, Bill Horton, uh, Crystal is coming uh, to this debate, and uh, we had we had a, we had to deal with that trade off, and so we chose to accept what the Symphony Space wanted. We are in the process of trying to establish a permanent home uh, for the Soul Forum. We had a home called the Subculture Theater at 45 Bleecker Street, which was ideal for us. It had a bar, it had space for my wife to, to offer food, to offer catering, so we could have a party both before and after. Because the, the, the twofold mission of the Soul Forum is not just to have a debate of interest to libertarians, but to get people together, to have them discuss the debate, uh, both uh, both the topic and to discuss, to talk with the debaters afterwards and to get to know each other, uh, to socialize, to network. Um, and so uh, we, uh, we we want, uh, we, we had that at Subculture Theater and then because of a strange series of events, they that went out of business. We're looking at another venue where we could possibly have that and uh, with, I'm a bit nervous about what they're going to ask us, uh, with, uh, ask of us with respect to vaccination and with respect to uh, to proof that uh, you don't have COVID. Uh, I hope that at least, uh, if they're going to put their foot down about it, that they that they only ask that at least that 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 you don't have to prove that you're vaccinated, just prove that you don't have COVID. Because this is New York City, and that is a little bit of a problem. And of course, there's been a lot of Twitter Twitter followers who've been telling me what the hell you're doing in that in that concentration camp of a city. <laughs> and what can I say? I've been here for over 50 years. It's unlikely that I'll be able to move. Unlikely that I'll really know how to move. We have taken the show on the road, as I've said, uh, and we will con- we will do so in the future, but uh, we're, we're sort of stuck in, in New York City at this point. Uh, so uh, that's that's the, the long answer to uh, to uh, where we stand uh, at the SOFORM with respect uh, to the reopening of the economy and the lifting of the lockdowns. Okay. So, Gene, one other uh, quick little question. You, you did yeah. mention Dave Smith there. So mm-hmm. in the event that Dave Smith does run and win the presidency, uh, what role will you play in his cabinet? Well, I think that uh, you know I should probably just be his his uh, Ehrlichman or Haldeman, just his his second in command, um, because I've got to keep whispering in Dave's ear. Please do not call yourself the most consistent motherfucker. <laughs> because look, you know, there's nothing wrong with that as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but to begin with, Dave, you're not going to get elected if you keep talking like that. Uh, and uh, and uh, in addition, Dave, clean up your grammar somewhat. I don't know if you know that. Dave is incapable of saying uh, you and I uh, had a good time last night. It's always me and you had a good time last night. <laughs> and that's ungrammatical. Uh, and uh, in addition, I think that uh, Dave, who, by the way, I greatly respect, uh, I should say, I'm kidding him now, but uh, I believe that Dave went through a phase, which I hope is ended, where uh, he uh, uh, he obviously spent uh, a lot of his youth, you know, drinking, drugging, and uh, and who knows, going to orgies in his twenties. And then, he, then he became a bourgeois. He he became a husband and a father, and and he went the other extreme. That's what can happen to you when you become a sort of a late convert. And he obviously loves being a dad. He's basically a Jewish guy married to a sweet shiksa, and he's having a great time living in his house. And I think it's terrific. You know, he must be a wonderful husband and father because he keeps talking about how happy he is in that state. But then 
when you start saying things like he did a year ago, I don't know if you ever saw him. He said he he talked about some was he I think he was specifically insulting some woman, but I guess he made some statement to the effect that women who've never had children are all screwed up that they that they have that if you're a woman who's never had children, there's something wrong with you. I mean, you know, he's suddenly opining about the desirability of the marriage state and of having kids, and, and I was on his show and uh, I was trying to tell him that look, we're both thick libertarians. We both we both have sort of values, yes. But then I, t- I started talking to him about sex workers. That was probably uns- not too smart of me. And and I actually asked him how he would feel if his daughter decided to become a sex worker. So that probably really really inflamed him and drove him ruffling feathers. Yeah, yeah. So I really ruffled his feathers that way. But I was trying to teach him to be a little bit more tolerant. I believe he's quieted down a little bit about his moralizing. I, I don't. The other part of it as well is that. He says unequivocally that he believes that abortion is murder, and but uh, and then he echoes Ron Paul. But I did. I look. I heard Ron Paul on the View. You know that that uh, that Daily Show with a bunch of women. Ron Paul was mostly was sort of waffling when he was asked about it. He he basically said that he just doesn't think the federal government should be in charge of it. Federal government never was. Uh, in charge of it. It should be left to the states. And he said, well, if a state votes for it, then I guess you'll have your way. So he he didn't uh, unequivocally declare what he privately believes that abortion is murder. And probably Dave should follow Ron Paul's lead in that regard uh, in recognizing that I, I privately disapprove of it. But uh, but I but but I, I only think that it's not something for uh, robust's way. Dave seems to be a little bit more extreme about it. It's difficult to argue with that. Uh, but uh, I myself uh, tend in the direction of Walter Block, who has a different view, which we could go into. But that's a digression. I, I still think that it's very heartening that Dave does want to run for the presidency. And uh, and uh, and I I do think that uh, he could potentially reach a large audience. You probably know that he was debating the issue because we all are well aware of the fact that Ron Paul converted so many people and achieved such attention because he was running for the nomination of the Republican Party. And so he was able to face down Giuliani, for example, about how, you know, they hate they don't hate us for our freedoms. They hate us because we're in their backyard killing them. And Giuliani Uh asked him to back that. So all of those historic moments uh, were only possible because Ron Paul was running uh, for the nomination of the Republican Party ticket. Dave argues that he could still be uh, a Ron Paul II because because he has access to more media out there than uh, than than Ron Paul did at the time, and I wish him well. I wish him luck, and I think that by and large, Dave is a, an articulate, uh, uh, fast-thinking uh, uh, guy who uh, who, by the way, I gather does not say motherfucker when he's on TV, so he knows not to play. <laughs> I doubt very much that he cleans up his grammar, uh, and uh, but uh, but uh, he uh, he has he he's got. Got two thumbs up from me, uh, uh, and uh, and my criticisms of him are a little bit carping. But with that said, I was talking to uh, Dennis um, um, Dennis Prop up at the uh, Free State, so they're going to have a different debate. As you know, Dave was debating uh, what I forgot the guy's name. You probably noticed that on on that uh, on uh, Lions of Liberty. Uh, he was with Phil Bishop. He was debating Phil Bishop on that issue. But but then there's another dimension to the debate, which is. 
should there, of course, though Bishop said working within the Republican Party is still the best way. And Dave, it was a very friendly, very engaging debate. Dave was arguing, no, there's potential to be to do another kind of Ron Paul uh, through uh, through the Libertarian Party itself. But then the second dimension to it is, uh, as as um, uh, as Dennis. Uh, uh, Pratt put it to me, if if one to two percent of the population is libertarian, we've got a few million people. If if a if a considerable portion of those could move to New Hampshire, then maybe if you really want to get something done in the world, then maybe that's a real hope. Uh, I think maybe Dave should run for the presidency and then consider moving his family. Hopefully by then he'll have four kids, five kids, moving them all up to New Hampshire. And after having run for the presidency and maybe not winning, which will be a big disappointment to me, because because if Dave doesn't give me the number two spot, I could at least be head of the, the head of the Treasury or Secretary of State, where I believe I could be able to do a lot of good. That would, that would be a real a real disappointment. But if he loses, uh, and uh, then he possibly could move to New Hampshire and start running for the governorship, uh, and uh, and that could be uh, uh, the other thing he does. Because again, libertarians have scarce resources. I myself. I myself have throughout my life been a member of the chattering classes, as you guys can see. I've written, I've given talks, and uh, while I think I serve a purpose, I think you guys serve a great purpose by running your your your, uh, your podcast. I've always been looking for people who really try to get things done, the pragmatists, who might be able to win some real tangible victories for libertarianism, rather than people like me who just keep talking about it. And so uh, I'm, uh, I'm I take a keen interest in these things and. Very arguably, very arguably, uh, uh, I, I lean in the direction of thinking that our scarce resources should be devoted to creating the free state of New Hampshire, even though I'm not moving to New Hampshire. But the soul form will continue to support the free state in many ways. Uh, I'm pretty sure that this is not the last time that we'll have a substantial presence at Porkfest. Sounds great. Smith Epstein 24, everybody. Don't forget it. <laughs> <laughs> so, well. It's a lucky break that not everybody <laughs> knows that Dave Dave is a goddamn Jew just like me. Two Jews <laughs> running on the ticket. That's exactly what the libertarians would do. <laughs> just just put all put all your Jewish eggs into one basket and let let, let the Gentiles uh, eat eat your heart out, Gentiles. It's going to be two Jews. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Well, Gene, yeah. we're, we're a little past an hour. I'm extremely sure. grateful for your time. Thanks again. Sure. Um, Tyler, any closing questions? No, this this was good. This was a, it was a good, insightful conversation. Solved all the problems of the world, guys. Uh, and That's right. Absolutely. And I didn't make you do any forecasting this time, so I thought you might well, like that. I did. No, come on now. I talked about the dangers going forward. And I, I don't think, I, as I say, I, I did say uh, that you know, I buy $1,000 worth of Bitcoin, $1,000 gold every month. And that's that, that's that's the classic, very unimaginative dollar cost averaging, which means that uh, that that psychologically it's kind of nice because uh, Bitcoin now has you know, downside correction. So that means I can buy a little bit more of it because I'm buying a thousand dollars worth. It's a fixed amount. So you're mm -hmm. diversifying over time. Uh, you buy less of it if it's going up, uh, more of it if it's gone down. Uh, and uh, I still have fairly substantial profits. Uh, uh, from having done this, and uh, so that that in a way I, I think is about the only uh, recommendation I can make to people. Uh, with respect to gold, I'm a little less sure, so maybe it's maybe it's just Bitcoin. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, I think that's potentially the best hedge against the future, and so that's uh, th th that's my specific investment recommendation. 
Perfect. And uh, any uh, any plugs and social media, Soho Forum? Uh, well, uh, follow me on uh, on my, my, my Twitter handle where I, I announce most things and I sound off on most things that, that are of interest and uh, promote articles I'm, I'm doing. Uh, and that's at Gene Soho Forum, at Gene Soho Forum. And again, uh, because you guys are uh, mostly this, your vast audience uh, are podcast listeners. Uh, the, uh, the 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 Soul Forum debates podcast is where you can catch all of my debates and all of the debates we've done at the Soul Forum. I've done seven of them. We've had over fifty, so most of them have been done by others. But if you if you scroll through the, the Soul Forum debates podcast, you'll find a lot of interesting debates on racism. On we've had two debates, two prior debates on Bitcoin, but Bitcoin keeps changing. The issues keep changing. We're going to have another Bitcoin debate at Porkfest. And while tickets can't be bought to Porkfest, and actually the hotels are all sold out, <laughs> and so I guess the thing to do is to sort of camp out and invade Porkfest that way, which you could still do. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah, and hopefully we can uh, cross paths at, uh, at Freedom Fest. We'll have a booth oh, there. Well, yeah, no, looking for. Are you going to be there too, Tyler, or just? Uh, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, great. And, and, and you, what is it? You guys are. What exactly are you doing? It. I've, I've heard this before. You're going to be a bunch of reporters. What are you going to do? Yeah, there's a. They have yeah. a media media row, so it's media podcasters and news that. channels. Yeah, so we got a booth set up there. We'll be uh, there interviewing the speakers and trying to observe and report okay, on the so event. Oh, God, so I won't get a chance with you. You'll say, yeah, I spoke to you already. You're boring. <laughs> I'm going to do any speakers, but, I, but uh, you guys won't talk to me. All right, so you're going to interview a lot of the speakers. Well, that's good. Well, look, you get you got a chance to talk to Tom and Scott. I mean, those are those are the two greats uh, uh, who will be there. And uh, so uh, I, I think you'll uh, you'll have a great time. And, of course, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you both up there. No, it's it's a great time. I, 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 it was held in Las Vegas, as you probably know, for many years. And then uh, Las Vegas canceled it. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I think it's great that, you know, we're going to have a, have a look at South Dakota for a while. I always enjoyed going to Las Vegas. This will be about my seventh, eighth time at Freedom Fest. And uh, and p- p- part of it is indeed uh, getting to know people and, and hanging out, and uh, that's always uh, always a pleasure. You're basically hanging out with with people of like mind uh, and being in a community of people with like mind, as as we will have at Freedom Fest and I will have at Pork Fest, is um, so much of what I look forward to. Yeah. Sounds great, Gene. We can't yeah, wait. Uh, finally, sure. getting down to the to the final month here, so we're looking forward to it. So, Gene, Gene thanks right. again. Really appreciate yeah. your time, and uh, yeah, we'll see you in South Dakota. Bye-bye. Bye.